Big thanks to our title sponsor, Blooming Smiles Pediatric Dentistry. Dr. Arpita Patel has a beautiful, modern, and upscale pediatric dental office in Charlotte, North Carolina. She and her experienced staff treat children of all ages and special needs patients. They create a comfortable, stress-free, and memorable dental experience for both the child and parent, starting with earning your child's trust and always catering to their individual needs. They're proud to offer the Waterlays Plus laser system they call Princess Poppy. It's an alternative method, which means no injections, shots, or drills. They genuinely share kindness, patience, compassion, and fun. Who you calling crazy? Welcome to Who You Calling Crazy. This is a unique mental health podcast. We are erasing the stigma and elevating and normalizing dialogue around mental health. Of course, we'll be sharing practical therapy tips, but most importantly, we'll be diving into the stories and vulnerability of people you know or want to know. I'm your host, Juliette Kuhnley. I'm Molly Grantham, and uh, I don't know, how do you describe yourself anymore? <laughs> how do you describe yourself? <laughs> you know, I eat all the titles, like what? So I always say, when you have to have quick little things, I'm an anchor, I'm an author, I'm a speaker, I'm a mom, I'm a juggler, mm-hmm. I live in a circus, mm-hmm. um, I love life. I feel like the past 14 months have been the hardest parts of life ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a sister, you know. Um, I am an advocate for things. I sometimes feel like I'm an activist for things. I don't know. I'm just a person getting through with a smile. I think that's how I best describe myself. I like that. Like, why do we actually have to label any of it? Just doing all the things. All the things. Uh, Yes. Okay. So I just would love for you to start with whatever comes to mind when I ask you about your own mental health journey and things that you've been through, um, Mm. whatever you're willing to share with us. Mm-hmm. God, jump right in, Julia. Um, so <laughs> I, my own mental health journey. Um, I think we're all more aware. I'm certainly more aware of mental health in the past two years than maybe ever. And both my parents have passed of, from cancer in different mm-hmm. times, 10 years apart. But by the time I was 39, both had died, which was four years ago. So um, I think I had stress and Uh, feelings around both of those moments in my life, but I didn't maybe know that they were mental health moments until now (laughs) and looking back on reflection because of the way that mental health is now discussed so openly, which is good. And there's so many levels of it. I don't know if there's like a fix for it that, I mean, my mental health journey is I'm becoming more aware of my own mental health, right? And I, I think I'm well adjusted and I think I can go up and down and I, you know, all of those things are true, but I don't, I don't think I'm like in a mental health place. I would never want to throw that word around casually. I think it's really heavy and people have a lot of different interpretations of it, but um, I, I do think my own mental health journey would be that I'm more aware now, especially after the past two years. And even a little bit before that with news and political and social media and the attacks and the words and the armor you have to wear in particular as a woman um, in a public eye setting, like you just have to really look inside yourself more. And I've become more aware of that, which is part of mental health over the past few years. Yeah, all the layers. So even though you have experienced grief, deep grief, you're saying that now you can kind of put it in a context of, oh, that really impacts my full mental health 
and you you just you have a different conception of it. It sounds like I have a different conception of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I've been really lucky that I have been so blessed, and I am well adjusted, and I have healthy children, and I have a husband who loves me, and I have a job that I appreciate. So, like, there's not some major thing on my shoulder every day that is making me struggle to get out of bed, but I'm very aware of the world and aware more of the community and how I fit into it and how the community fits into me. Right. And like Mm -hmm. how it stresses me out or how it can make lift me up. And so I think all of that, like as um, a lot of driven, ambitious, younger in their twenties, women are, people are, men are, you're just go, 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 go right? Like on to the next thing. How do I succeed? Get to the next step, go to the next level. Let's keep going. Um, look at this, look at that. And you just keep going. I mean, I never stopped mm-hmm. ever. Stopped. And I don't think I'm rare. Like, I think a lot of people, especially in their twenties, just want to go. Like you want to get there. You have dreams. You're going after them. It's the way our society is set up. It's not that you're necessarily at fault, but now that I'm a little older and I can pause and reflect it's like holy crap look at all this stuff that's been mixing up in my head and how I get through it or don't process it and now I'm like kind of reflecting back and processing it and seeing how it fits in that's right I think that's why it's different over this past 15 months or whatever in quarantine because we had to slow down it was the first time that we couldn't just keep up with the busyness and so things caught up with us mm-hmm. well and we had time that's right <laughs> everything's canceled. You're sitting at home. You're bored of the four walls. You're just with yourself. You're thinking. That's right. And that's why mental health therapists were busier than ever, (laughs) you know, because not only were you then dealing with the trauma of the pandemic and political stuff, all the things that were going on, but exactly what you're saying of just, okay, now here I am in my own head and I can't Mm -hmm. sort of outrun it or avoid it. And um, so now, and of course I see that as a, as a gift for people. Um, but it's hard when you're somebody who has just sort of been doing all the things and go, go, go. Has your business been just slammed with calls and people needing attention? Yes. And the way I kind of frame that is, I mean, on one hand, it's like sad, right? That that many people are struggling, but they're they're seeking support. And that is always a good thing. So yeah, talk about, yes. I mean, fr- frontline workers. I, yes. I think therapists fit into that for sure too. And you guys, news anchors, you know, that we media journalists, because I can, I can turn off the news. You know, I can set some boundaries around some of that. Uh, You can't. No, we can't. We really can't. Mm -mm. And it's not like an eight to five job. Right. Or in my case, I work two to midnight, but it's not actually two to midnight. Right. You know, we're taping this and we're talking about stuff long before two o'clock and social media is 24 hours a day. So you have to learn to shut it off because you can just swim in it 24 hours a day, swim, drown. Mm-hmm. Drown and then have other people judging you for it. And, you oh know, my gosh. just yes. all the you know fake news or uh, all anti-media, all of that stuff. Everything it's- in the past few years, it is, you know, it's been a tough few years, no matter what your political beliefs are, no matter where you fall, everybody has been impacted by the past couple of years. And it's when things are crappy, you want to blame someone. So, you know, politics, like if you believe this person, then you're going to blame the other side. Or if you believe the other side, you're going to blame this side. Or if you just don't know where to place that hate, it has been very easy, very easy to place it on media. 
Yeah. And everything is the same. It's painted with the same brush in a lot of people's minds, right? And network and cable is very different than local. Um, what I do every day is very different than what someone at a Fox News or a CNN is doing every day, just as role, as effort, right? We are part of the community. I'm here to advocate for the community. It's like my favorite part of the job, but I will get on Twitter and be called every horrible, horrific name in the book for no, no, re there's no reason, right? It's just someone's angry. Someone has a mental health problem. Someone doesn't know where to place their frustrations. And so they get on Twitter and they yell at the person that they see on TV and they think it's all your fault. So how do you learn to protect yourself from all that drowning and all that barrage of judgment? Um, I will say I'm really glad that I'm a little older now and that all of this past year didn't happen when I was 23 or 24 and trying to start out because age gives you, um, you know, experience is, is um, a gift. And I think age is a gift, not a, not an insult. And I'm not ashamed to say I'm over 40, like it is what it is. And I appreciate that because I have more experience now at handling some bullshit mm -hmm. and, you know, I can sort of process it better so for me, I just turn off Twitter. Like I just don't get on, right? And so when I'm there two to midnight, I will be on in the ways I need to be on. And it can be super helpful in learning information fast and looking for things that then I can research to see the validity of it. But as far as like believing the people behind keyboards, hmm. <laughs> you know, or letting it sit inside of me when I go home, if they don't like me, like you, I don't know them. They don't know me really at all. And they're just basing it on who knows. And I have to take that then for the people too, that are like, Oh, we think you're great. Right. So if I'm going to take it for the trolls, I have to take it for the compliments because you don't know. And so none of it really matters. Twitter, none of it really matters. That's it. It doesn't matter, but I'm also older and I have like other things in life that I can focus on, which feels wonderful. And I'm yeah. lucky for that. Yeah, I agree that, I mean, that wisdom does come with age and, and practicing. I mean, we, even as a therapist who knows all of those tools, like sometimes it gets in, right? I mean, it seeps in and you do over-personalize it, but I like that distinction of, doesn't matter if it's negative or positive, anytime we over-attach or, or link our identity to any of it, it's risky. Totally. Yes. Yeah. And so I also know that, I mean, you guys um, were kind of the, the face of COVID in Charlotte, Oh, our family. Uh, your family. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. The unexpected. You plan for everything. Nothing works away. And then you get the icing on the cake and you're like, oh, okay, cool. I mean, seriously, how we did laugh you... about it? We could only laugh because we're okay, obviously, you know. Oh, right. But yes. So for those of you not in Charlotte, um, you're, you're, you want to kind of give us the rundown and then, and what that was like from a mental health perspective too. Oh, that mental health. That's a good example. <laughs> actually of later on processing and being like what the hell just happened Surreal. what just happened like what was that <laughs> um okay yeah so the rundown is um I I don't even know like where to begin with the rundown so I was pregnant um with my third child and COVID happened in March he was due in July and suddenly by April it was like okay pregnant pregnant women are high risk so you need to we're going to build a studio in your home and you cannot come into people until 8 p.m when you anchor the 11 because there's fewer people here. And blah, blah, blah. So like all of life was a jumble anyway, because I'm anchoring the five and five thirty news from my home with like, I'm pregnant. My husband's working from home. My kids are screaming. The doorbell's ringing, you know, homeschool, homeschool, mm -hmm. like phones ringing like one is right now. Just stuff. 
right? Doorbell go off, lawnmowers next door. But it was, a, and that was like the news. I mean, it was just a mess. So, and then you had all the political stuff and then you had all the COVID stuff. And that was in a place where all of us were so, so unaware of even where we are now. Like think of what we know now. Oh gosh. And there were like, you know, tons of articles and theories that we wouldn't have a vaccine for four years. You know, like there was just so much stress on all of us. And I'm trying to anchor the news here, do the job. I was so happy learning all about COVID, very aware of COVID, very, very cautious. I was high risk. So <laughs> happy to go have a baby and start newbornhood to get away from mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. Right. So we go into the hospital and um, I've been very protected. It was like a Tuesday or something. They test us mm. to go in at 5 a.m. Me and my husband were negative. That's fine. My in-laws had come in from out of state. They'd been tested before they came to watch the older two kids while we're away at the hospital. And um, they were negative before they came. We have the baby. We come home Thursday, two days later. Everyone's kissing on the baby. Everyone's happy. Friday night, my nine-year-old girl comes in to the bedroom at midnight, sweating, Mm. sweating, like fever, fever. She's never that way. It was three day old downstairs in the nursery. And I knew, I just knew she had it. And this was at a time in July when people were deciding, do we go back to school? Can kids get it? Kids can't get it. No, we don't know. So she ended up, obviously we'd all been kissing on the baby. She already had it the day before we all got it. Um, I ended up getting pneumonia. The 10 day old was the youngest tested in Mecklenburg County. He was presumptively positive. The six-year-old had it. My husband had it. I had it. We were all supposed to separate inside our house and quarantine because we didn't know we all got at different levels. So like the first day, <laughs> just two of them. And then a week later we found out I had it and the pneumonia was bad. And um, Anyway, a month later, once we were cured, cured like fine and my pneumonia was gone and x-ray showed everything was better um I wrote about it on Facebook Mm -hmm. that's what I do I write and tell stories and fact-based things as an educational thing Mm -hmm. like we all different symptoms right all five of us different ages different symptoms we were careful right we know where we got it we think my mother-in-law maybe picked it up at the gas station on the drive down here from Kentucky Right. Oh my gosh. Because they had tested negative before and we were negative in the hospital. Right. But my daughter got it somewhere and gave it to all of us and kids can get it. And anyway, that story went viral Mm -hmm. and like tons of education out of it, which was the goal. And my point in really writing it, not only with symptoms and education was, hey, this is not a political thing. Mm -hmm. You can have different opinions and politicize how to handle COVID, but the virus is not political. And I am showing you that we have it. And my baby, I had to watch Juliet stand over his crib. This is what mm-hmm. they told us. We don't really have enough data on infants, right? With COVID. So mm-hmm. you're kind of one of the first. So what we need to do is have you stand over his crib and watch him sleep. And as he breathes, if his rib cage goes up and down, then it's fine. But if his rib cage goes to the left and right, then you need to go to the ER. Oh, God. Did you sleep at all? And watched him, but he's eight. He was eight pounds. I mean, what are you looking for an eight pound rib cage? Like you know, eight pound baby with a rib cage. It was just 
So every hour we just did it and you can't have anyone come help and you can't have anyone come clean. And you can't have anyone laundry. You can't have anyone come cook. You have babies and kids and then they feel better and they want to go outside and they're looking out the window, but they can't um, to protect Hopeless. the rest of the neighborhood. And so, but at the time you're just like, okay, we're just doing this. We didn't even tell people we had it because it was like, not, a, I wasn't on the phone with people. Like we're just surviving. Yeah. You're surviving. And then a month later, everyone was like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know how we did that, but we did it. We I think when, it. yeah, when you're in it, you can't even really go there. You just have to plow forward. And I was so grateful that people did want to hear the story because I do think a lot of people learn. I had a lot of people who were very um, opinionated that it was a political thing and it was a made up thing and that this isn't real, who do trust me, thank goodness, with yes, my job yeah. and who have watched for a long time and know that I was speaking from a personal standpoint. Um, and, you know, they started wearing masks. Like I had a lot of notes in response, like, okay, I get it. Wow. We understand this and I see what you're saying. And so that was a win in what was a really tough month. Yeah. And I mean, it must be therapeutic or cathartic for you to use your words. I mean, as an author and and I know you, you your Facebook posts and all of that. So is that a way for you to kind of process things? And, and yes, that some of the goal is to educate, um, but does it help you also just to release? A million percent. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That helps my mental health writing. Yeah. Yes. Whether it goes anywhere. It can be in like a journal that no one sees, right? A text to myself. Yes. <laughs> I, I just have to get it out of my head all the moving That's thoughts. right. That's right. And we tell clients that all the time. Just get it out of your head. Just kind of get the noise on paper. Maybe you don't even go back and read it. Sometimes you can read it and notice thought patterns, whatever. But sometimes, yeah, it's just the release. And um, and and you're right because you do have such a position in the community as a trusted person. And so when people read these words from you, it's like, okay, yeah, I, I, I get that. Or it's relatable. And so that's a I gift. So. Thank that's you. Good. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. Do you, um, I do want to talk about um, grief a little bit more um, because, you know, I feel in my, you know, therapeutic opinion that it's the hardest emotion we deal with. It's just, mm. so, why do you think that it's just so raw and tender and there's no real, um, framework for it. And I always tell people there's no formula or timeline. It can come out of nowhere. I mean, it's not like an upward trajectory and something you heal from, right? Mm -hmm. You just kind of learn what the way I see it is you just learn to carry it differently, mm -hmm. ideally. Um, so what, just, what can you share about your grief journey? Because that's um, been a long journey, right? I mean, your dad first passed away. That was a while ago. He did. He passed away um, six days after my husband proposed to me. So he wasn't at my wedding, but he did know that um, we were getting married and he met, met Wes. So that's awesome. Yes. And a good feeling, you know, many, many years later. Um, I think it hits you in different ways in different times. Like you said, there's no framework, there's no timeline. So I wanted to ask why you thought that was the hardest emotion because it, it is a difficult one. Like you can go weeks, months and not emote over, you know, not having, you know, whatever the grief is, whatever it is that you're mourning. And then you can be like washed over one morning and just be ripped apart. Like, yes. and, and there, it could be 10 years later, or it could be on a mother's day, you know, it could be like a thing, or it could be just a random Wednesday. And you're like, why, what, huh? Or, or a smell or something you drive by that is a reminder. So I'm really actually more interested in hearing how you think it's like the biggest emotion and the toughest emotion because people don't really talk about grief as much. It's like, oh, we're so sorry for your loss or we're so sorry, for blah, 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 blah. you know, and then like it goes away, but it doesn't really go away. It doesn't go away for the person feeling it. That's exactly what I was going to add to that. I think we, 
we tiptoe around it so much, you know, because it is so tender and raw, yet people are never sure what the quote unquote right thing is to say. And then they end up saying nothing or they end up saying something's totally wacky, like, you know, that the person who's grieving just does not want to hear. Um, mm -hmm. Or yeah, they, life moves on. Mm -hmm. things mm -hmm. keep on trucking. And yet you're still like, wait a second, there's this huge loss that I'm still processing. Or like you said, comes up later, whatever it is. So I think that's part of it. We don't, um, we don't talk about it. Um, and grief is not just the other thing is maybe a misperception of like grief is just these huge, like if somebody dies, you know, or some big T trauma, but grief happens on so many levels. So I think that's another thing mm -hmm. too, is like sometimes people feel guilty about grieving over certain things or whatever. And so I just think it's very complicated. Yeah, no, it, I think everything is very complicated of now. Of course. <laughs> you have to work to like laugh and smile and keep things simple because sometimes it is just about being. Mm. Sometimes it's just about not thinking, right? Or not processing and just being. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we can be our own worst enemies. Minds over, anal over analysis, just mm -hmm. like sometimes it's just, just be, just go, just have, just let things come, let things go. Like it's mm -hmm. wear things loosely, you know, just kind of be, I think that's really important sometimes. I think it's, I mean, it's, that's what mindfulness really is all about, you know, mindfulness and meditation. And people think it's just mm -hmm. about being Zen, but it's not, it's, it's, the, it's what you're saying. It's being able to like observe what's going on without overly attaching to it and just kind of having some room and distance from thoughts and feelings. Mm -hmm. So um, so can you identify a, I mean, we've talked about a lot of big moments, but is there a, an identifiable turning point that comes to mind just for kind of getting into a, to, to who you are now? What is there a turning point? I just think I'm always evolving yeah. and I know I'm a different person than I was when I was 25 and 35 and now 44. And it's, um, I like all the people I've been. Mm. And I've learned from the mistakes that she has made and I will make more mistakes to come and hope that 10 years from now I can say, I also liked me today. Mm. I love that. All the versions of yourself. <laughs> mm -hmm. But yeah, it's not that it was like one moment, you know? Yep. Yep. What are you most proud of? <sighs> I know this is going to sound super heavy and maybe almost silly, but that I'm doing it. I'm surviving, right? Like we're here. Mm -hmm. I don't mean just health. I don't mean just, um, you know, but like I can, I can get up and I can get the kids to the bus stop and I can take the baby on a walk, which I just came back from. And my husband's going to travel for work and he's coming home and I'm going to be able to see him tonight on my dinner break for 48 minutes while I'm at work you know, like go to work and be happy and help on calls and help talk about some of the stories we're going to really dig into tonight at five and 11. So that speaks to me. And then I, you know, get to see my husband over dinner break for 48 minutes with the kids and I go back and then we're going to try and go to the beach for a day and a half this weekend, just to, for mental health, break Love away it. from, you know, the past couple of weeks of, of real heavy stuff. And so it's like, I am most proud of the fact that all of that is working that mm -hmm. like I am able to get up and smile and have all the feelings, whatever they might be and function, right. And enjoy and appreciate life because it's, it's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff. I always laugh and say juggling, you know, what are you? I'm a juggler. And, but I do feel like it's a well-oiled machine and I am proud of myself for juggling 
because I feel like my kids are really happy. They're not deprived. They know that they don't see their mom, um, you know, at school activities or that I uh, will be here for 48 minutes for dinner and they know I go back to work and they're totally well adjusted with that. And that's a, a real pride moment for me. And I also appreciate and go to work and feel respected and included and engaged with everyone, right? Like that that's a part of me. Um, and then I can't wait to put my toes in the sand and let it all go for 36 hours. That also sounds great. You know, so all of that to me is something I'm proud of. There's not one that I feel like is the most important. It'd be very easy to say family. I'm so proud of my kids. Of course I'm proud of my kids, but that's not like the only piece of me. I love that. I love that. And that, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it because I know, I know what that takes internally to, yeah, make it all happen and to be well and well, well oiled machine. So that's, yeah, you're doing it. And I'm glad that you feel that pride and you can claim that because sometimes as women, we shrink from that. Oh yes. Sometimes we do, but that comes with age, right? As you said, wisdom, mm-hmm. age is wisdom and wisdom is like, why wouldn't you sit around and shout for mountaintops that you're damn well doing it? Mm-hmm. Are there uh, go-to people in your life or anyone that serves as a mentor for you? Um, my dad was my hero. Um, for sure. And I still sometimes wonder like, what would he think? Mm. <laughs> but the world's also changed a lot in the 14 years since he's passed. Right. So he might not understand some of the things that I would have brought to him years ago. Um, I, I have a really amazing group network of girlfriends and um, it's small, you know, like I probably, I always, we always laugh. I always say like, Oh, I've got 10,000 acquaintances, but like, you know, a handful of great friends and um I love them and we can sort of say anything. And some of the stuff you and I have talked about today is stuff we'll talk about, you know, own it, it. Uh own it, be who you are, say the stuff. Yep. You got to have those authentic connections. Yes. Yes. Shed the shit. Like just get rid of the stuff that weighs on you. I mean, just talk about it. If you don't get out of your head, if you don't have someone to talk to, it's not going to work. And it's not a mentor thing, but also that goes to writing, you know, yep. Writing isn't a mentor for me, but it is an outlet. Mm Mm-hmm. And any quotes that are, or, or go-to mantras, I'm a big person of, you know, just mm. those little nuggets that kind of, yeah. I can meditate on or whatever. Any go-tos for you? Well, I mean, everyone loves Glennon, so we can do hard things, right? Let's, we can do hard things. But I also have a paperweight on my desk at work that I see every day. And I don't even know who said this, but it is just engraved. It's a silver rectangle and it says, um, what would you do? if you knew you could not fail. Mm. Um, And it's basically saying like, try it, right? Yep. Actually, it's what would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail? Mm -hmm. That goes back to kind of what we were saying too about being our kind of standing in our own way. That Mm -hmm. that we don't realize we have the agency to give ourselves permission to take that Mm -hmm. risk. And permission is such a big word. Yeah. And to trust mm-hmm. that we can handle it. We can handle whatever happens. So, I mean, do you, I don't know, just speaking to that balance, the role you play and the reel you wear, um, you know, we've talked a little bit about that just with wisdom and getting older and, and giving ourselves permission to do that. But do you see any of that changing in your industry at all? I mean, because that yes. TED Talk was a... I do see the roles that TV journalists, on-air people, in particular women, play changing. I don't think it's a widespread change. 
I don't think it's like a massive difference in this moment, right? Like you're not, but it is different if you would go back a decade and look at it then to now. I do think social media has helped that because you can be more of a real person. Hmm. And here are my, you know, pers- personality thing. I'm not just this TV anchor head that's, you know, perfectly done hair, makeup, reading words someone else wrote. There are feelings and thoughts and a lot of smarts that come behind that presentation. And so, you know, it used to be that like the more robotic you were, the more you sort of became popular, even on a widespread scale, you know, like it was the anchor, right? Like think about this, the anchor, right? Like the Ron Burgundy anchor, like it was like, right. Like you're just, and I, I, I don't think people have, people, anyone, why, no one wants to watch that. Who cares about that? Nobody wants that. I think people want real. I think they're thirsty for authenticity. I, I do not think your opinions need to come in the news reports, but the person who's presenting it should be someone who is real that people can understand. You know, obviously network news, cable news, you have different opinions. It's a different type of landscape now than it was a couple decades ago, but local news is still pretty straight ahead, no matter what station you're watching or whatever market you're in. At least I feel, uh, I know, speaking from experience, we work really, really hard to have editorial discussions where it's straight ahead. And if we're doing this side, we have to do that side too. Mm -hmm. But you still want to know the people and we're all people, right? So if you're pregnant or you're getting married or you have a win or you did a TED talk or you wrote a book or, you know, like, what do you like? I have dogs or you, you, you're passionate about music. Like, I think some of those things can come into play with social media and presenting you as a real person. And so that's great. I think from there, we'll get to the image of women. We have to first start with recognizing that they're real women and they're real people. people. And then we can focus on the fact that when you're watching the news, the first thing you shouldn't write me is, I don't like your hair tonight. So right. insulting. Right. But I mean, I'm like, I'm past the fact that we get those emails. I'm working on You know, so, and I think it is changing. And I really do think it's changing. I really do think it's like, you have to first understand the people presenting the news are real people. And that, so that is a really interesting point. I never thought of that social media totally helps in that for y'all's profession. Yeah. Because you can share all of the real life stuff because I mean, we, we talk often about the detriment of, or the downside of social media in so many ways for girls and women or or anybody, but the comparison game and all of that. But in this context, that's Mm -hmm. a very helpful thing to, to balance out that role you're playing. Yep. I mean, I said trolls on Twitter. I love my Facebook page. Yeah. People are kind. They're good. We tell good stories. I write good stories for it. You know, mm-hmm. I've shared the hells of having homeschool in my house the past 14 months. Like people relate to that. It supports teachers. It supports other parents going through the same thing. It's a community. Yes. Facebook for me has become a community, you know, and Instagram is like fun to show pictures of life and catch up with friends and Twitter's accessible. So like in my mind, that's how I separate it all. <laughs> y- yes. I think that's accurate. And it's good to have that distinction because then you know when to go to which one. Yes. Yes. All can be useful in different ways, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm really encouraged to hear that. And I think it is a slow shift, of course. Um, And just amidst uh, all of the different movements that are out there, um, body positivity, me too, like all of these things that are like, we keep kind of getting there and we just need to keep 
push in it. And so conversations that you have and share and all of that, that helps affect change. So that's- I think so too. Yeah. And the image of it all with the people on TV, I mean, every station is trying really hard to make sure that the staff that you see as a viewer reflects the community. Right. It always used to be, always used to be the white, older man with gray hair. And he was credible and he led the newscasts. That is not at multiple stations what you're seeing. And there's a variety of what you're seeing instead of that. And you can still have that. And that's not bad, but it's not bad. And it's actually quite good to make sure your staff is reflecting the community you're speaking. Yes. 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 Awesome. I wanted to talk about grief a little bit more thoroughly because as I described in the episode, I really feel like it is one of the toughest emotions that we as humans can experience. And I think that this is really because it's it's often an uncontrollable response that we have to something that's been painful or traumatic. And it's not just associated with the death of a loved one, for example. It really can be triggered following any type of loss. Maybe even, you know, a friendship has changed or shifted. Uh, maybe we lost a job. Maybe we had the diagnosis of some serious illness or a chronic illness. Um Maybe there was another incident where that happened that kind of violated our sense of safety and security. So anything that really registers as loss. And the other thing about grief is that it's really not just a single emotion. So there is a manifestation in grief that takes place physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and it's very complicated. It can really um, encapsulate a lot of different emotions. Um, the other thing I wanted to highlight is that there's kind of typical grief, and then there's what's called complicated grief. And so grief is the, you know, the very natural way in which someone responds to something painful, um, whereas complicated grief is um, more complex. So this might be something that's also classified as abnormal or chronic or exaggerated. And we really look at the length of time in which someone's experiencing really heightened emotions, um, the inability to focus or intense um, hyper-focus on things connected to the loss. And it's hard to sometimes to categorize this because again, as I mentioned in the episode, everyone's grief response is very unique. There's no timeline or formula um, and so we don't ever want someone to think the way that they're grieving is wrong, but there is, um, there are certain things we can look for where we can determine that maybe someone is sort of trapped in this grief and that the intensity of it is not shifting. And so when we think about treating grief, again, it's not something that we get over. We just learn to carry it differently. However, if someone's really not learning to carry that differently, then we might dig into uh, more of a trauma response or more complicated grief response approach to their care. As always, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll see you next week. So who you calling crazy? I think you mean human. We're removing the stigma, y'all. Say it loud and proud. Yep, I go to therapy. Again, huge thank you to our sponsor, Blooming Smiles Pediatric Dentistry. Just check out the Google reviews for Dr. Arpita Patel to see how great she is with kids. They truly offer a holistic approach to ensure for every patient the well-being of mind, body, and spirit.